Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Doing the Damage, the only DJ pool focused exclusively on house and dance music, supplying the best remixes, bootlegs, mashups and exclusive promos from their global network of DJs, producers and labels. Check it out now at doingthedamage.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Ridney, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and many, many more. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and on Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talk to Back at Me about his musical journey so far. You might also know him as Alex Madden, and if you've met him, you'll remember him. I've known him for years, and as he says in the podcast, he's an entertainer who's always at the centre of any party. He chats to me about his time working in the TV industry, blagging his first gig and residency in a private members club while at uni, and his first forays into music production. He's seen a different side to the industry the most while being a tour manager for Michael Woods. He tells some great stories about that time. Uh, He's killing it right now with releases on Sonny Federa's label Solotoko and SKT's imprint stashed with loads more besides that. He chats to me from his studio in Las Vegas, so let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Back at me. How you doing, man? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? I'm awesome. How is... I saw um, I saw like a picture or a video or something of downtown Vegas recently and it looks so weird. Like it's just obviously no one's there. Like um, you obviously, you're in Vegas. What's it like, man? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird, man. It's like a ghost town at the moment. It's, there's no one around. I mean, well, as of the last few days, um, because of the protests and things, there's uh, some marching and some protests going on. But um, up until then, yeah, the, the whole of the strip was like a ghost town. Like people's new favorite thing to do was to go on bike rides down the strip because it's it's basically no one there. There's no cars down there. It's, it's starting to pick up now because we're coming to the end of the lockdown over here. But um, yeah, beforehand... It was just a ghost town. It was crazy. Because Vegas is Vegas is like 24-hour, obviously, party city, but it is 365. It's not seasonal, is it? So, like, everyone that works in – most people who work in Vegas live in Vegas, right? It's not like people come in for the summer to work like they do in Spain or Greece. People who work in the casinos, work in the clubs, work in the bars, they just live in Vegas all year round, right? Yep, yep. Everyone uh, lives here. The, the You know, it's not – like you say, it's not seasonal. The only thing that is seasonal is the pool parties and things here. Yeah. Because from about uh, January to around March, it's probably a little bit too cold for pool parties. And then they usually end around late September, uh, November time. Uh, actually, no, probably September and then November, December. So there's probably, it's like the pool season's like six months on, six months off. Okay. Uh, right, well, let's, let's get into the, the podcast, man. So we always start in the same place, and I'm going to ask you, what is your first memories of music? Like, where do you remember hearing it first? Was it a car? Was it in the house? Was it parents? Was it brothers and sisters? Was it friends? Like, I'm going way, way, way back, way before DJing, way before buying records, way before any of that. Just as a real young, like, toddler kid, what are your first ever memories of music? Um, That's a really good question. I think... I think the first time I really heard music that 
kind of made my ears. I used to be, <laughs> I used to be, re- I still am. I-, I used to be really into like wrestling, like WWE, WWF stuff back then. Yeah. And um, I found myself like uh, liking certain people's entrance music. And uh, so that for me, I think was the first time I heard actually paid attention to music because I, I was watching wrestling when I was really young. So I think I heard that and was like, oh. And then from that, I think I heard maybe my dad play some like rock and roll music. And I was like, oh, that would be good, good wrestling entrance music. <laughs> you're like, you're like, cu- cu- yeah, you're like cu- curating de- like the good walk on music for wrestlers. Who was your favorite then? Like back in the day, like it doesn't have to be one of the first ones you heard, but like who was your favorite walk on music back in the day? There was a, a guy called Ultimate Warrior and he yes. used to have like, he used to be mental. He used to have like, like face paint on and he used to run to the ring. And I just remember his music being like, made me want to just run because it was really energetic and it had this kind of really fast bass line that was like, dun, 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 and I was like, wow, this is really hyping me up. And it made me feel, I know it's so stupid because it's such a weird bit of music to be listening to, but that's what kind of caught my ear. And I realized that it had a, a feeling on me like it made me i remember buying the computer game for my sega mega drive and i remember playing it and then um it used to have the theme music on it so what i would do is when you're selecting the player as you select the player it would have that theme music and i remember as a kid being in my bedroom having that game on and selecting that character just to hear that like 30 second as intro music so i could run up and down my bedroom and start waving my arms around and so i think that was the first time i i i kind of paid attention to it because my my parents are quite musical so and they used to be quite social as well so around the house and stuff they you know they'd have parties and family would come over for christenings and weddings and all family parties so there was always like kind of um like 80s pop music and like that kind of stuff playing uh but yeah the first time i think i paid attention to it for all i like this was probably that do you have older brothers and sisters? Because they, they tend to, I'm an only child, right? But it always comes up on the pod a lot. Like older brothers and sisters seem to play, have a, a big influence on stuff. Like, did you have older brothers and sisters or? Yeah. So my, I've got two older brothers and two younger sisters uh, and two older sisters. Right. Um, but uh, I, I guess they didn't really uh, have too much effect on me musically until quite later on. Like my, my dad was probably, and like you said, it was probably in the car it was listening to music and I used to watch a lot of films and I used to find myself um, enjoying certain music in films or like the musical score even. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, mine was clearly I used to watch too much TV cause mine was probably from TV, <laughs> probably from TV when I was a, a kid. So that's where I got, but my dad, yeah, my dad used to play music in the car. So I used to get into like old bands, like old rock bands and, um, like like the diamonds and uh like buddy holly and um elvis even elvis and uh you know that kind of rock and roll um type type music was kind of what uh and then he used to listen to really weird stuff like enya and mike oldfield like tuba the bells i don't know if you've heard that that i mean the most famous thing that he's ever done was that halloween theme um wasn't it wasn't it the first person that um Branson signed to Virgin Records. Wasn't that Tubular Bells? Wasn't that the first thing that, that he signed to Virgin? Could be. You 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 know way more theory than I do. But um, oh, I don't know. 
But, yeah, um, you might be right. Aggie, it's funny you talk about like movie stuff. I went on this like huge Harold Faltermeyer like wormhole the other day, like and like checking out all the different scores that he'd done and all the different like films that he'd worked on, and like he's done some amazing stuff. I mean, obviously we all know him as being the creator of what became known as the Frog Song, <laughs> but, but like, but he obviously did. You know, he did the Beverly Hills Cop stuff, and like, yeah, go and check out Harold Faltermeyer. Like the stuff he did on films was was crazy. Can you remember the first bit of music? that was that you remember being yours like was there a, was it a cassette was it a cd was it a vinyl was it like could you either bought for you or bought with your own pocket money or something can you remember the first thing oh yeah that was yours yeah uh again oh my god I'm, i sound like such a crack kid uh, it was off an advert off a tv advert uh and this piece of music was um on a levi's advert yeah and at the, at the time i thought it was by prodigy because my cousin, I was like, oh, my God, I love this music. What is this song? And he was like, oh, yeah, th- this sounds like Prodigy. And it was actually um, Spaceman. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Spaceman. Yeah. Babylon. 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 That's it. Yeah. And so I went around all these, like, our prices and uh, other music stores asking if they had the new Prodigy song. And they were giving me this Prodigy song. I was like, no, this is not it. <laughs> This is not it. This is the wrong one. And then well, what? And then one, you know, one guy in the store was like, "What? What song are you talking about? What are you trying to find?" I say, "It's on the Levi's advert." He went, "Oh, hang on." And then he reached back, picked up this cassette for me, and it was it was Babylon. And um, yeah. And the funny thing was, is that the the I remember the clip that they used for that advert was the best part of that song because the yeah. rest of it was crap, just rubbish. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it was awful. It was like this most. I was like, "What is this nonsense?" But that that chorus breakdown bit was amazing so that yeah, advert that thing's amazing. crazy man I'm, I'm, i remember i think it was a lucasade advert that dj fresh was on like louder with sean evans and it's like there was a time wasn't it that, that there was the that, that babylon thing off the levi's advert i remember the louder thing the dj fresh there was another one that i can't quite remember that just adverts made the records huge yeah. right yeah. straight went, went straight to number one was that on it's like so did you get it like david, you get do you remember the david getter track the egg it was on yeah, that Nissan walking car. Walking away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, walking away. Yeah. So, yeah, so did you get it? One. Did you get it on to, on on CD in the end? Did you get Babylon? Like, did you did you get it on CD? Oh, I don't think I don't think they had CDs then. It was a cassette. It was, it was a cassette. cassette. Nice one. Yeah. And then so like DJ wise, um, and these like almost sound like stupid questions, but like, what's the first time you remember? <laughs> Just being aware that someone was a DJ, like I know that's a stupid question, but I mean, like, was it no, was, no, it, was, was it on a radio or was it like was it was it at a school disco? Was it at a gig? Where was the first time you were like, oh, that's fuck, that's actually what someone does? Yeah, that. Um, well, the the first time I realised it was a thing was um, my cousin took me to um, like one of his friends' events, uh, who was a DJ, and he. Um, basically was just DJing it in a, in a pub uh, called the happy pig. And we went down to this happy pig and he was just playing like UK garage music for probably about 20 people in a pub. But it was just, it was quality because I was, I think I was 15 going into a pub where I had no right to be in buying alcohol, which I had no right doing. And, you know, just listening to this music with all my older cousins and, you know, all of his friends. So it, it felt, it was really cool to me. And it was really cool that, you know, he, he was in control of that. And I was kind of like, Oh, that's kind of crazy. I, I kind of want to do that. That'd be, that'd be fun. But at that time I didn't really think about it too much. I just thought that's really cool. I, that's, 
I thought he was cool being the DJ. Yeah. And you so were that right. Was the first time. And you were correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. Uh, yeah, there's something about that, like, there's something about that, like, illicit, like, those first times of being, like, underage, like, with pals, drinking for the first time. There's something about that, which will, that level of excitement will always be better than everything else that goes like, you know, you know, you don't, I don't think you know it at the time, but it's like, it's, you know, even if me and you went to like high IB for or whatever, whatever was supposed to be the coolest, hippest, like, you know what I mean? Like whatever place when we went, still wouldn't beat that time with you at 15, <laughs> listening to someone, deep, someone play garage to like 20 people. Just hundred percent. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like your first kiss. You're never going to forget your first kiss and yeah. you're never going to forget the first time you felt or, or was, uh, the unmistakable kind of sound of speed garage. Oh, yeah, it's the best. And from that, I think it just started making me want to find that kind of music because I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Whatever this is. So, yeah, so, that, so then, what yeah. was what was your kind of like introduction to like to, to DJing? Really, like, was it was it a long time after that? Did you end up trying to get decks? Did you end up starting to collect music and not realize that you were going to DJ with it? Like, what what was then the sort of you know through your late teens or whatever and into you know what was the journey for you? Yeah, well, after seeing my my cousin's friend do do it, he, you know, he for whatever reason that guy then became like, whoa, like he was in my mind, he was kind of famous. He wasn't famous, but in my <laughs> mind, he was famous. Um, uh, so he, he was kind of like unattainable. I, I couldn't touch him, kind of thing. Like, you know, that's impossible. That's what he does. That's amazing. So for me, what it was is when I was in school. You know that that music that I just listened to started becoming quite popular with amongst friends, and I remember like it was uh, like garage and house at that time. But it was more garage, but they were calling it garage and house because I guess it was garage was quite a new thing at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was from that, and then I started listening to it going through school, and then as I got a bit older into like the last couple of years of uh, of normal school, uh, secondary school, um, a few friends like in a year below me. Um, were DJs, and I was like, "Well, these these are younger kids. Like, these are kids that you know these these are definitely attainable. Like, I could go up to and go, wait, how did you do that? You know, show me how you did that." Um, and that was it. Yeah, I just uh, one of my friends. Uh, hold on two seconds. I've got to let my dog in because he's going to smash my door down in a second. No, he is. Yeah, come in. <laughs> oh. my, my dog's on the sofa behind me just there. Hey, look, he's, he's driving me nuts. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he was, he was DJ and I, I, I just remember asking him like, you know, like you just cheekily just saying, oh, can you teach me? And he was like, yeah, man, just come to the house after, after school. I was like, what, you've got decks. Cause like having decks then, cause I remember how much they used to cost back then, like, you know, yeah, for, for techniques. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I got them at my house. Come I was like, oh man, amazing. So I remember just going over to his house and he had all these records and I was like, where'd you get these from? And he was like, oh, I get them from, there was a certain record shop um, not far from where I lived. He was like, I get them all from there. And so that was my introduction to DJ. I just started trying to learn with him. And then I remember one of my friends uh, had a birthday coming up in school. And me being me, I was like, hey, man, I'll DJ your birthday. Like, I have no <laughs> records. I have no nothing. And he was like, yeah, no worries. I'll get my mum to sort it out. So she was like, yeah, you're going to DJ. I was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll do it. I have nothing. So then I just remember going to my buddy and going, hey, uh, James, we're going to be uh, DJing this party. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, you've got to bring all your stuff down, uh, all your records, and we're going to be DJing this party. And yeah, we went down and, I mean, he did mainly most of the DJing because I had a clue at the point, but, you know, 
I was like, I was like the executive producer, you know, like the the, the yeah. executive DJ. Ah. I set it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what what did you do? Like, obviously, like we know each other a bit, but like, I obviously don't know like all this background. What what did you do? Like, did you go to uni or something? Or did you what did you do after school? Did you get a job? Like, or did you were you then were you trying to DJ all the time? Or what was the link then? Like, what was as you were growing a little bit older? What was going on? Yeah, DJing didn't ever come into my mind for a really long time. When really? I was in school, yeah, when I was in school, the thing was, I've always, I think I've always wanted to be uh, an entertainer. I've always wanted to entertain people. I've always wanted to be that center of attention. If hard you to, will. hard like, to believe, mate, not having met you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always, I think I've always wanted to do it. Um, were you in bands so, and stuff? Like I can see guitars in the background. Like, were you in bands when you were a kid? Like you said your parents were a bit bit musical. Like were you doing, were you playing instruments? Were you picking that stuff up as a kid? No. Music in terms of the physical sense of like me doing it didn't come to way, way later. I didn't, from the stuff that I was learning in school, like the music theory that I was learning in school and uh, the history of it, I never put like two and two together. I never realized that Mozart made this piece of music, which means that, MJ Cole could make this piece of music. It didn't, yeah. it, there, there was no link for me. And in school, they never, they never kind of taught that contemporary link. And it, so it never, it never sunk in for me. So it, I, I think that's why music never really touched me in that way. Then I used to like it. I enjoyed listening to it. I liked the physical act of playing it, but it was never anything like that. My, what clubs were you going to when you were younger? Like, where were you going? Like, you in London, yeah? Or you lived on the outskirts of London at the very least. Like, do you remember where you were going? Like, where, what clubs you were going to or what you were into at that sort of, that 18, 19, 20 period? Yeah, I was heavily into UK Garage. That was my upbringing, right. really, into, into music. I was going to a, a nightclub in North London that was literally right by my house and right by my school, which was called Eros Nightclub. And they used to do like the best nights down there. Like DJ EZ would be down there all the time. You name any any uh, UK garage star or act, a hundred percent they played at Eros nightclub uh, when it was open. I think it's a sofa shop now, but um, yeah, it's it's um, yeah that was that was the, the the spot for me there. And then there was also clubs in Watford like Destinies and Time and Envy, those kind of places, which nowadays are terrible and they're you know they're made for the masses but back then they used to do these really good curated nights for like garage and stuff so yeah yeah so i used to go to a lot of those and then so i mean we joke well i joke but you know you said about being an entertainer did you want to do anything else and did you want to be an actor did you want to be a comedian or did, like what, what what was that what was, was that was that more in your head at that time yeah i wanted to be an actor um when i was at uh, school my favorite subject was was drama yeah and then um I kind of uh, was wanted to pursue that. And, you know, uh, that was probably the only subject where my teachers uh, who were teaching me it were like, you should you should really consider this and take it seriously because you've got something, you know, you're confident, you, you, you're good at, you know, portraying characters. And so you should consider doing this. And I was kind of like, yeah, OK, fine. And then there was this um, competition. I remember there was this competition in my school where they were going to give you like a scholarship to go to this acting school. So, um, cause of what the teachers were telling me and stuff like that, I, I thought this is it. I'm going to get like a scholarship to go to this school and they're going to pay me to go and do acting classes. Cause I, you know, they've been hyping me up this whole time. So I'm kind of quite confident thinking, yes, I'm going to get this. And I didn't get it. It went to this, this girl called Becky and she, bitch. she was a bitch. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> No, she wasn't actually. She was all right. But she was she was just the, the reason I say that is because she was 
uh, like the naughty kid in school. Do you know what I mean? Okay. She was a she was a big girl, and when we were younger, <laughs> she what, when I when I say big, I don't mean big as in like fat. I mean she was really tall, like she was massive. Okay. Like she she had the growth spurt before anyone, and she was about six foot when we were thirteen. Okay. So she was huge. <laughs> And then she she used to bully other girls and like she was that girl, do you know what I mean? But she was half decent at acting and whatever because she was confident enough to bully someone. So she was, <laughs> she, she, and I think they gave her the, the scholarship to try and steer her in the right direction and stop beating okay. up other people. So yeah. I was really pissed about that. So after that, I was like, well, fuck you, drama like uh, teachers. Uh, and then I thought, right, well, I can't do this anymore because you know this is how you get treated in this. So I, I started. I thought. You know, you can't. I thought to myself, you can't teach much more of acting. I think you've either got it or you haven't got it. I don't think there's anything you can learn necessarily that's going to make you any better personally, unless you start going into yourself and that gets deep. But save that for the acting podcast, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. So I, I thought, um, I thought I'd go into media studies. I thought I want to learn how to make films and I want to learn how to, you know, make TV shows. And that was what I went into. And that's what Great I went TV. on to do. Yeah, and that's what I went on to do in, univer- uh, in university. Um, I did media production. And then when I was at university doing media production, part of the course was uh, radio production. And then once I started getting into that, and I was already liking music, and at that point I just started DJing, and I owned a pair of really crappy uh, belt-driven vinyls, um, I started kind of putting that together. And I thought, ooh, maybe I can do radio, because it kind of encompasses everything. Yeah, you know? entertainment, music, creativity, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, and I don't have to worry about my looks. So, you know, I was I was golden. I didn't have to show you're, my face you're, at anything. You're, you're a good-looking lad. Uh, where did you Stop go to? trying to check me out. <laughs> where did you go to uni, man? I uh, went to university in Northampton. Okay, so what was that like as an experience? Because, like, that, you know, you came from, like, London and Watford and that garage scene. Uh, you know, Northampton's a bit different, I guess. Like, and how was that... Were you, were you DJing when you were at uni or were you, were you going out or was that towards the end or how, how did that uni thing like relate to you as, as, a, as a DJ in, in, in the music and stuff? Yeah, so at uni, uni was great. I loved it. Any, anyone who's young and listening to this podcast, just if you get a chance to go to university, go because it's the best experience of your life. And all my teachers in school told me that and I never believed them because I didn't know what they were talking about. But they were just basically saying, you're going to go drink loads of booze, meet lots of women. It's going to be great. Do it. And I was like, yeah. You're right. It was great. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, so, so when I was at university, I, that's when I started DJing, I bought a really yeah. crappy pair of vinyls. I had them set up in my room at uni. Um, and, uh, there was a couple of record stores there and, um, like HMV was still around and yeah. they used to do this. They used to buy the, do this thing where you could buy three vinyls for 20, 20 quid. So, yeah. I would go down there all the time. And that's when I started getting into like back into house music because, um, the affected record stuff was getting quite big again. And then, yeah. um, what was the other one? Uh, data. Uh, oh yeah. Data would have been like the ministry, logo, the ministry stuff. Data, like, deepest, it, data, deepest blue and stuff like that would have been. On yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. And then, um, so, and they had all that stuff and that was when like, uh, Eric Prids called on me, started coming yeah. back and, and then Armour Van Halden, my, my, my. And then and I, I remember seeing Armour Van Halden's name. And I remember thinking, I swear he's made a track that I love. And it was like a garage, like a, a UK speed, a US speed garage track that he yeah. made back in the day. So that's when I started collecting vinyls again. And then I used to work 
uh, at uni as well. I used to work in a, a, a like a private members club. Okay. And it was very, it was very, uh, very up market. It was meant to be anyway, but the people were never trash. But it was, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, like a private members club. And um, downstairs, they uh, it was the club, and upstairs was the bar. So what I used to do is I used because I had crappy uh, belt driven turntables, which used to slow down mid record because yeah. the needle was too heavy. I um <laughs> I used to go uh I used to go into work early and then go downstairs into the club and practice, practice. downstairs. Yeah. And uh it was brilliant because I could smash out the like the speakers and everything and I remember one day um I got all I got all dressed to go to work because I was I had a shift so I was all dressed in my because I had to wear like a little black dicky bow and I was all dressed in my, but I was downstairs DJing and my boss came downstairs and it was about 5 minutes before my shift started. So I thought he was coming down to tell me off and he came down and he went Alex I was like, yeah, he said, he said, um, he said, I've been listening to you DJ the last couple of days. He said, you're pretty good, aren't you? I said, oh, yeah, I'm all right. He said, well, um, and the DJ that night um, had cancelled. He said, look, the DJ tonight's cancelled. Um, how would you like to DJ tonight at the club? And I was kind of thinking, you're bonkers. But obviously, I didn't say that. I was just kind of, because <laughs> I was terrible. I was terrible. I couldn't beat match. You know, that, you know, I, I didn't really, I hadn't learned that yet. You know, I was just, I just liked playing the records and I just tried yeah. to, you know, do the best I could. But yeah, I couldn't beat match. Hang on, let me let the dog out now. God, this dog. <laughs> Get out. Um, so anyway, so he offered me that. He said, look, I'll pay you your normal bar wage. Um, and I'll then, see. yeah, I'll pay you a bar wage. But he said, if you're any good and it goes down well, then I will book you once a month. So I was thinking, well, I can either work in a bar and hate it or I can work up here and just get paid the same money. So I did it. So, yeah, no worries. And I, I, I didn't have many vinyls. Like, I hadn't collected that many yet. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I collected was, like, garage stuff. So they definitely weren't going to allow that down there. So I had to go to my friend's house and, like, just say, dude, can I borrow all your records? And he was just like, <laughs> yeah, no worries. So he just gave me, like, a crate of 50. I didn't even know what was in there. He was like, this is what I use in the bar that I DJ at. So take that. So I did, and I went down, and I, start, I just started practicing from really early on. And, yeah, and it, I, to this day, I would say that my very first gig was probably my best gig ever. Um, <laughs> amazing. Not not technically, but just how I felt. It was the most amazing feeling. I remember yeah. playing, because this was a club that used to play a lot of, like, soul and funk and, like, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. And I loved it, but they played the same records every week. It was the same stuff. So I went in and I played that and then I started mixing it in with like a bit of Prodigy out of space and, you know, a bit of uh, Eric Prids and some Arvin Van Held and some newer house stuff um, and some sneaker pimps and that kind of stuff. And it, nice. and it went down really well. Like, I, you know, the crowd were going nuts and I had my boss come up to me and went, wow, you're really good at this. And yeah, so and that was it. So that was my introduction to DJ because I got a monthly residency there and I was terrible. And then that's when I started to learn how to DJ because <laughs> yeah. I got... I got the job and then, you know, my, my a friend of mine who was also DJing at, at the club, he was like, how the hell did you get this gig? Like, you can't mix. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I said, because I just winged it and it worked. And so he started to teach me how to use like CDJs. He's like, stop carrying these records around. You know, this is when the CDJ just came out. He's like, you know, I'll teach you how to use this. It's really easy. And then, um, yeah, it just progressed from there. You know, there wasn't much UK garage there, but there was a lot of drum and bass in in Northampton. 
a big scene for that up there. But, um, were, you, were you doing other gigs then? Apart from that residency, did you while you were still at uni, did you start doing more more DJing, or was it just that one while you were at uni? It was just that one at this, this okay. members bar thing. I tried to get in with like the student union uh, with my university, but it, it was run by people of the university, like students. So it was just clicky. So it was just their friends who they'd get in. And I didn't know those people and I wasn't ready to go brown nose anyone to just try and go play in a student union bar. I wasn't bothered. Is that is that where you <clears> met? <throat> like, If I remember this right, is that where you met Dell? Or like, was, does that come after uni? Because I think that's how we started like, speaking years ago yeah they'll come way 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 after um right. so, so okay so 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 we'll work a bit more in, in in time so you went so, so you finish uni do you hang around in northampton do you go straight out to to london what's your plan when you finish uni yes yeah, so i finished uni i finished my media production course um and at this point you know again dj was just a hobby um i was earning a little bit of money from it which was amazing considering yeah um uh, I, I, at that point I was doing a little bit of, uh, local community radio as well. Um, really late at night. So I had like my own radio show, which was amazing. I loved doing that. Um, but again, I wasn't getting paid for any of that, but yeah, media, media and, and that was, that was it. So I was trying to find TV work, but I kind of stuck around in Northampton for a while, uh, like a year, maybe a bit longer because I had family that live up there on my mum's side as well. So okay. it was, it was comfortable for me. Um, so I stuck around there, uh, trying to find TV work, still trying to find acting work as well. At this point, I was kind of getting back into that. I had the bug for that. Um, and then, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time and I realized quickly that if I wanted to get, you know, into, into TV or film, I just had to go and be a runner, at a studio somewhere or whatever. So I just came back to London. Um, and then I started just applying for runner jobs and things like that. And then uh, a friend of mine said, yep, I can get you a job at this thing. And I was just making cups of tea and just started learning how to use cameras. And that was it. I started. So when does that, so when does that, when does that, not that I'm personally, I'm interested in that, but like just podcast wise, when do we then pick up the sort of like the re-pick up the music and the DJ and stuff? How far down the line is that? What, 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 what kind of, what triggered it? Yeah. So, so the, so the DJ came back around when a friend of mine on uh, uh, Kiss FM, he, he won a competition for him and 10 of his mates to go to Ibiza. I'd never been to Ibiza before. Um, it wasn't a thing for me. Um, so uh, he took us all. We all went. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I was still kind of into the house music stuff, and a few of my friends have kind of been getting into it a bit more and going out more to, like, house club and things. And... Um, they were showing me some music on the plane, and then that was when they were. Sh- uh, I can't even remember what the songs were, but they showed me a few songs. I was like, "Wow, these are amazing! I hope we hear this while we're out in Ibiza." And then I went to Pasha. I vividly remember it. I went to Pasha for the first time. Eric Murillo was playing there. Um, it was a. I think it was a defected album thing. It was Eric Murillo and two other people, but I can't remember who the two other people were. But it was like a three. It was like a. a, a a threesome thing it was like a they had a name but for love no money can't remember but he was DJing and he played this I you know I experimented in all of Ibiza's delights if you will for the first time (laughs) (laughs) and all of the things it offers and I was in Pasha and I had my very first moment and it was whilst Eric Murillo was playing and he played this one track and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And all my friends were dancing. I was in this club and I was looking up at him, Eric Murillo, and I was thinking, 
this guy does this for a job. I've been doing it as a hobby, but this guy travels around the world and does this for a living. How the, does he do this? Like, I don't know how, how he's able to do this. I need to, I need to find out. So when I went back, <laughs> I, so when I went back you know, to the hotel and we was all kind of still mm, buzzing from the night, uh, I was sitting there, I was like, boys, that's it. I'm changing my whole career. That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to do this music thing. I'm going to be a professional DJ. I'm going to, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to tour the world. I'm going to, I'm going to be better than Eric Murillo. That's, that's what's going to happen. And they were just all like, all right, mate, calm down. Um, so yeah. And then that was, that, that, that was it really. That kind of sparked it all back up again. And then I, my, my TV stuff became my job. And then this yeah. became my career. It became something yeah. that I was, I was gunning for and what I wanted to do. And I, again, I wasn't too sure how to do it. Um, I'd, yeah, that was going to be my question, man. So, what what steps did you take? Like, obviously, when the buzz r- ran off and you landed back in, in in London or whatever, what what at that time? Not so much now, but at that time, can you remember what you thought your plan was? Can you remember what you thought the yeah. steps were that you should take? Yeah, I thought my I, what I should do is uh, DJ on radio. Right. I I thought to myself, I need to be Pete Tong. Yeah. I need to be that guy. I need to be the curator of these mixes and be the guy that people come to, to give their music to and stuff like that. Still, I hadn't, even now I still haven't put together making music DJ. It has, it still hasn't come together. I still, you know, it wasn't until I started realizing that Eric Murillo kind of made some music. Get in here. (laughs) My my dog troubles. Uh, It wasn't until, um, I realized Eric Murillo was, was making music and, um, then kind of David Getter was kind of blowing up then. And, um, yeah. and he was making music and I was like, Oh my God, these people are all making music and yeah. you know, they're touring the world. And, and it took, it took ages for me to realize that, but I just, I kept thinking to myself, it's too late. I'm never going to be, and le- I'm never going to learn how to, to do that. You know? Um, and that was when I met up with Dell. Okay. It was at that point. Yeah. Because just, I mean, this is more for my benefit than everyone else. But what? Because Dell was working on like, was he working on like a shopping channel or something? But then was Correct. he? Did he? But then did he have the ability to produce music? And and was he sort of teaching you how to how to to produce? Was that the sort of deal? Kinda, yeah. So what happened was, is he was a presenter on a TV show that That's I was right. a producer of. Okay. So I was a so in my normal job, and he was he he saw that I DJed somewhere. I think I DJed at Pasha in London or something. And he was yeah. like, oh, you're into to music, are you? I was like, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, he's classically trained. So he was yeah, like, I'm, I'm classically trained. He said, I've got a studio at my house. You should you should come by and, you know, uh, check it out. And, um, yeah, that was it. So I, I started going over to his house, and um, he did. He had, he had, like, the whole setup, and he had every VST plug-in. And, you know, he had – Dell, don't get me wrong, I love the man, great pianist, classically trained, great guy. But he wasn't a producer as such. He okay. he was uh, he's a, a, a he's a musician. He's a musician. Yeah, yeah he's a musician. Um, but he had all the gear, but just no idea really how to use it. But he he he. But he you know, he knew enough. He knew more than me, way more than me. So yeah. uh, it was good to kind of learn. But as a, during the process of him teaching me um, certain programs and whatever. Um, I realized that we were still really far behind everything and everyone else. But he, uh, so yes, yeah, so I started going over to his house. 
what would happen would be he would sit and produce the track and I would be the sitting like next to him doing nothing other than just saying, yeah, I like that. Put that there. He was yeah. like my engineer at kind of yeah. right at that point. Yeah. Um, and then I, the DJ and stuff was going pretty well. Uh, how were then, you getting gigs there, man? Like at this point in London, how were you getting gigs? Were you just like classic, like, you know, walking in asking for a gig? Did you know people because of TV? How were you getting these gigs in London at the time? Social media just started getting big. Like Facebook just started getting okay. big. Um, and it was, uh, I, I noticed like a lot of events started coming up, uh, on Facebook and things like that. So I would contact those people and they would say, yeah, no worries. You can play for the gig. And I was like, wicked. He's like, right, we're just going to give you 20 tickets and you have to sell these tickets. Uh, so I was like, oh God. Uh, but at the time I didn't care. Like I just thought, I don't care. Like, I just want to play out. I just want to do it. You know, it was still a hobby at that point. And I, I just yeah. thought, you know, this is a good way to get in front of people and who knows at that time, you know, I, I could be DJing and someone could be in the crowd and be like, Oh my God, I need you to go and play at so-and-so. You know, so I just, I just saw it as an opportunity and I thought, right, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to do that. And you know, you got to remember at that time, things like SoundCloud wasn't around. So it's yeah. not like you could put music up or Mixcloud wasn't around. So there wasn't, you know, the only way people could hear your mixing was if you did it in a club, there was no yeah. other way or unless you did a CD and gave out a CD. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how I was hitting up people. I was just doing that, and then um, in doing that, I hit someone up who uh, lived in Australia, um, uh, a lady called Vicky, and she oh, uh, yeah, and still yeah, yeah and, and she still does like a, a, a runs a radio station out there called Radio Metro in Gold Coast. Yeah, and she was like, "How would you like to come on a tour of Australia? I can get you some gigs here, there, and everywhere." And I was just like, hell yeah. She said, um, the money won't be much. It wasn't anything, it, but it was, it, it will cover all your costs. So I was like, hell yeah. Like I get to go to Australia for free, playing all these clubs for free, uh, you know, and, and just spread my wings almost. Do you know what I mean? I can get out there. Um, and then, so I did that. I did that. Um, but then, um, I said, yep, yep, I'll do that. I'm, I mean, I'm down. So she booked all these gigs. I got like six or seven gigs, uh, all booked and I was over the moon. And then just before we went, I went maybe a month or two before, uh, I was DJing for a night called flawless. That was Steve Westover's night. Um, I was DJing for a night at flawless in Brighton and, uh, they booked Michael Woods to headline. And Michael Woods at that time was huge because he'd just done a remix for uh, Dead Mouse called I Said. And he was he was was, blowing that, up. was that out of office at the time or was that Mike was that Michael Woods? Was that an out of office was, thing or was it? No, out of office has kind of stopped and, and he was doing his own name now. Right. Um, and yeah, he did a remix for Dead Mouse called I Said, which Dead Mouse included on on the album um, as like the original track almost. And um, yeah, so him and Chris Lake as well, they were kind of both blowing up at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, so we met in Brighton, and then uh, after we did, we kind of just Lake? Chris. Yeah, I know. Where's he disappeared to? <laughs> so yeah, so you killing so you, it, eh? <laughs> yeah, so you met. So you, I was because it was going to be my next question was really was where did you meet Michael Woods? So that so it was flawless in Brighton. Flawless in Brighton, yeah, and, and then we just hung out, and you know we were we were boozing on the tequila, the tequila. just having a good time. Yeah, yeah always. And then I had a uh, night with Michael. <laughs> <laughs> did you remember it? I doubt it. <sighs> There was two girls and a bottle of tequila. That's, that's <laughs> him and a bottle of tequila. That's all I remember. As long as it's two girls and 
and, and a tequila and not two girls in a cup. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so did yeah, you so two we, just become mates and stuff? Yeah, we did. We kept, That night we'd become pally and we just started hanging out and we stayed in touch from that. He gave me his number. He was like, yeah, man, just stay in touch, which... At, my, at that time, my, my mind was blown. I was like, wow, this guy's huge right now. And he's just like, yeah, man, yeah. Like, hit me up. And then I realized that one of the gigs that I got booked in Australia was supporting him. So I was like, oh, that's brilliant. So um, when I was in Australia, uh, I was in there DJing and he came and he was like, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, I, I said, yeah, I'm just warming up. He was like, whoa, that's crazy. So we just had another crazy night then. And then... The next day, he was like, um, what are you doing today? And I was like, no, not much. He said, well, come and meet me. We went and met in the park and was just chilling out. Like, I had something to eat, just just, just chilling. And uh, he was like, you know, uh, you need to – because I was talking to him about my career. He was like, what do you want to do with it? You know, where are you going? I said, you know, I, I, I want to I go as far as I can, but I don't think I can produce. I can't play any instruments. You know, he's classically trained. And he yeah. was like, mate, just you don't need to play instruments to be able to produce. And, you know, he was the one that kind of – like showed me the way of doing it. And, uh, you know, I played him some of the stuff that I did with, with Dell and he was like, yeah, this is good. This is okay. He said, you should do something for my label for diffuse. Um, yeah. and I was like, okay, all right, I'll do that. And then when we went back to, to London, um, he, 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 I remember he, he, cause I remember telling him I you know, couldn't afford the equipment or a, a laptop or, you know, I didn't have any money then I was broke trying to just yeah. get jobs in TV and stuff. So, he said, um, I'm heading off to America. He said, but come and meet me in White City. He said, I've got something for you. I was like, all right, no worries. So I went to White City and he came up and he said, here, man. And he gave me this bag, like a, a laptop bag. And he said, man, this is for you. He said, I've got to go because my flight is like in two hours. He said, I'm running late. He said, here, but this is yours. He said, any questions, just text me. So I, I, I went, all right, no worries. And he literally just ran off at the station. I was like, oh, okay. So I looked in the bag and it was like a laptop in there uh charger so it was basically uh, for me like a brand new mac that was his old mac and on that it had um logic and then he just texted me he said look just you know um just just keep working on that and just send me everything you make and i was sending him stuff thinking oh i'm gonna make this crap beat that i was making at the time send it to him i'm gonna be signed to the fuse and that's it i'm gonna be huge i'm gonna be massive from then on but that obviously wasn't it because he's very uh he's very detailed in the stuff that you send him. So I was sending him stuff and it was just awful, but he was nice <laughs> about it. it. Oh, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. But he was nice about it. And he was like, yeah, there's some good ideas in there, but you need to do this. And, and then that was it. And then I, I used to, when I was at, um, when I was working TV, there was a, an automated show that you'd have to sit there overnight <clears> and <throat> if anything went wrong, basically you had to fix it. So I became that. So I was sitting in a room for eight hours doing that and my job, but I would take my laptop in or this laptop in and I was just practice on logic for eight hours. So it was great for that. Uh, and I was getting paid technically from my other job. I mean, I shouldn't probably say that now, but yeah, it was, uh, so that's what I did. That's how I started getting into producing. And then did you, did, did I remember this right? Did you end up sort of doing tour managing for, for Michael Woods? Like, like, yeah. 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 So what happened was, is, um, Again, we stayed friends, and um, I just kind of started doing okay with the music stuff. I was working in TV still, and I hated it. Uh, I was really getting kind of down. Um, um, yeah, and at this point, you know, all the all the fun things that I learned, 
that existed in Ibiza, I carried on into into the UK, and um, <laughs> and that wasn't going uh, doing too well for me either. And uh, yeah, I was just I was just in a crappy place, and I just I didn't feel great about life. I didn't see where it was going. I didn't understand what was happening. And then um, I saw that Michael was playing at a uh, global gathering, <clears throat> um, like on the weekend. And I texted him. I said, hey, you, you're back in London. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Did you're back in the UK. He was like, yeah. He said, what are you doing? Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. No worries. So I went to the global <coughs> gathering show. And uh, yeah, bearing in mind at this point, he was massive. Like, you know, he had like uh, changed the way you kissed me. It already came out, you know, which was a tricky yeah. dumb of example that example, went to like number yeah. one. It yeah. was massive. So he was big. And then we got there and it was just so unorganized for him. And I was just like, man, this is bonkers. Like, this is terrible. Like, you know, he, he, he didn't know where to be. There was no one looking after it. It just seemed it wasn't what me in my head, who was an aspiring DJ producer, if you will, uh, thought it was like at the top. I thought at the top, that's it. You just get walked from here to there. Everything's done for you. I was like, dude, you need to get. Oh, and at this point, you know, social media started growing and like YouTube started growing and Facebook started going, Instagram started coming around. And I was saying to him, you know, you need to start doing your your uh, socials a bit more. You need to start work a bit more on your socials because, you know, you live a crazy life. You should be showing people that, you know. <clears throat> so anyway, so at this global gathering, I realized it was terrible. And I said to him, look, you need to um, switch this up. He says, I said, you need to get yourself a tour manager. He's like, yeah, but I don't like paying money for tour managers because they do one job. And that's it. And, you know, you pay him a ton of money and it just doesn't seem, didn't seem worth it to him at the time. I said, you need to get someone who's that younger, like a, a young guy that, you know, knows. And, and at the time I wasn't talking about myself. No, I, I, I wasn't. It wasn't until the end of it. I kind of realized, you know, cause I was, like I said, I was, I was lost at this point. So uh, I was like, you need to get someone who's a bit younger and knows a little bit about the industry and who's hungry, who wants stuff. And he was like, well, yeah, good luck finding them. I said, you need to get someone who's just like, fresh out of university or, you know, someone who used to be a DJ or something like that. And someone who knows a little bit about social media. So you can, you know, use that part of it. And, you know, that you, and so that was it. That was what I was basically saying. And then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. I was like, that's me. I could do that. And he was like, what? I said, like, well, yeah, I said, I, you know, that's what I do. I do, I do filming and photography and uh, at uni and that's what I did. And I know the industry enough to know what you want and what you need. And, and, you know, I'm confident enough to be able to do it. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. And he said, all right, well, let's test it out today then. He said, like, help me out today. And I was like, all right, no worries. So I helped him out that day. And then I helped him out another time once when we went out. I think he had a gig at Ministry of Sound and we Ministry both went there. That, yeah. yeah, and we both got absolutely wasted. At this point, I wasn't <laughs> working for him. But we went, got wasted, went back to his with it like, like an after party, had a massive house party, and then woke up in the morning. And I just remember before, as I was falling asleep, I remember his sister like whispering in my ear, just like, make sure he gets to his gig. And I was just kind of like, oh, out of it. Anyway, we woke up in the morning. I heard him throwing up in the toilets, like downstairs, upstairs in his bedroom. Just like, oh! And it was like dark outside. So I thought it was still the nighttime from what, like the, from when we went out. Like I thought it was Friday night still, but it wasn't. It was now Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> Um, we just slept through the whole day and partied through the whole day. So we, we missed the day anyway. So I was so confused. And I just, I just remember hearing, Oh shit upstairs. And I was like, what? I went upstairs. He's like, dude, I've got a gig tonight. I was like, man, don't worry about it. He's like, no, it's in Wales. I was like, Oh my God. 
So we're in London. His gig is in like six hours. He's meant to be in Wales. He's still hungover as hell. He can't drive. I felt all right. And I was like, look, forget it. I said, we'll go. I'll drive. And he went, if you've got a car, I said, no, look, I'll just take your car. We'll drive up there. And we're right. So jump in his car. He gets all his stuff. This is just before Christmas as well. So it's freezing cold. And we drive to fucking Wales. Um, and he's in the car. We have to keep stopping and putting over the side of the road because he's thrown up and stuff. I probably shouldn't tell his story, but I'm going, <laughs> to, I'm going, to, I'm going to anyway. There's no secrets here. So he's not feeling great. He, you know, he's feeling pretty sick. Um, I think he had a cold anyway, and it was, he was, you know, rough anyway. So that didn't help. Anyway, so we get all the way up to the, this gig in Wales. He turns up, and every first thing they do when you get there and you see Michael Woods, it's like tequila shots. He's like, no, I can't, no drinking tonight. Uh, so he, he starts drinking water and then we put like a bucket down beside the, in the DJ booth. So if he's going to throw up, he can throw up into the bucket, which he, he used a couple of times during the set. And yeah, I was just basically standing there like just basically looking after him. And then the gig was finished and then uh, we got in the car, he fell asleep and we, I drove back to, back to London. So um, yeah, and that was it. And then we got all the way back to my house, you know, cause he was okay to drive by that point. So we got all the way back to my house and he was like, is there, is there like a, an ATM around here? And I said, yeah, there's just one down the end of the road. Come on, I'll, I'll take you down there. So I went down to the ATM. He withdrew like, I can't remember how much it was at the time. I think it was like 500 pounds. And he was like, there you go. And he gave it to me. I was like, dude, I can't. I was like, no way, man. I can't take that. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you fucking saved my beans tonight, man. You, you deserve it. Take it. And I was like, but, you know, I can't. I, I, I can't. He said, listen, I would have paid for that in taxis because there's no way I could have drove there. Yeah. He said, so look, just take it. You've done me a massive favor. Thank you. And it was just before Christmas. So I was over the moon and, you know, that kind of made my Christmas. And yeah, so from that uh, and from what I suggested at Global Gathering, um, he phoned me up maybe two weeks later on. Uh, and I just accepted a new contract at my TV job. And he said, oh, remember that uh, thing that you talked about, about the tour manager? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, would you be interested in? In doing that, like, you know, are you serious in doing that? I was like, yeah. I said, but, you know, I've just kind of accepted my new job at this, this my TV thing. He said, well, how much are you getting paid there? And I told him. He said, well, what about if I, I match that pay and then you come and work for me? He said, but you're going to have to come and live out in America, in L.A. at the time. And I was like, <laughs> okay, no problem. So <laughs> yeah, hold on, let, let, me, let, me, let me think about it. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on a minute. Let me just look out the window where it's raining and freezing cold <laughs> in London right now. And I'm already in a bit of a a tiff because I don't know what to do with my life and I'm kind of lost. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. He's like, okay, great. I'll, I'll text you with like the information. So when he what said, I'll this, text mate? you. How, how far back are we going? What sort of year is this? This is like the end of two, like, no, this is like the middle of 2014. Okay, cool. Uh, end of middle of 2014. And yeah. then he, and he said, uh, he said, uh, I, I'll text you with the details like later. And I thought when he said that, he, he'll text me with like a contract or, you know, when he wants me to start, whatever. But what he actually did was he booked me a ticket to LA, wow. <laughs> actually to Las Vegas um, uh, for two weeks time. So I was like, holy shit. So no, now I have to go and hand my notice in my job. I have to go and tell my parents that I'm leaving the country to go work for someone. You know, it was kind of a, you know, all this stuff happened in two weeks. And then before I knew it, I was on the plane and I was, you know, flying to Vegas from the very first time I've ever been to Vegas in my life. Uh, to go and work and start my new job with um, with Michael, yeah. And I thought at that time, I thought, you know, that I don't think tour manager is going to be the thing that I do for the rest of my life, but I'm going to have this guy's knowledge and I'm going to yeah. be around it. 
all the time. So I'll be able to pick his brain about production stuff. And that's that's what I did. That's what I used that opportunity for. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that and that's what we'll move on to. But I'm just interested, like, I don't want to get too deep at the TM thing because it's not what this podcast is about. But, like, what did you learn, I guess, it, out, out of that TM in? Like, what did you learn about the industry what did you what did you or did it change your mind about anything did you go oh fuck i didn't realize that or did you see something from a different perspective and you were like fuck like what did it yeah I mean, again i don't want to go massively in depth on it but what what did you really take out of it like looking back on it now you're like what, what were your big takeaways i learned how grueling the touring is yeah. touring is uh insane um you know, it's easy to, to, if you don't, if you don't do it and you don't understand it, it's easy to look at it and be like, Oh yeah, it must be really difficult to get up and get on the plane and fly to these amazing places and play to millions of people while you're presented with alcohol and women and fame, you know, but that, that, that's, uh, that isn't the hardest bit. You know, you, you, I was waking up in cities, not knowing where I was. Um, I'd wake up in cold sweats thinking, Oh my God, I'm gonna miss this flight. I would, you know, um, get to uh like um immigration uh, uh, and then they would say where have you been and i would forget where we've been because we've been to like three different countries and 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 you know 10 cities it was so i i realized how uh taxing that that side of thing is and you know you, you know with recent things that you've seen like you know things that's happened with avici and stuff like yeah, you know Tim, yeah. it's, it's easy to look at that and be be dismissive and oh it must be such a hard life but it is really hard and you know sleep deprivation is a is a real thing you know you, you i found myself sleeping in the weirdest of places like just in cars or on airport floors or just trying to fit it in because you know you would rock up to a city you'd rock up to a city um on a eight hour flight you rock up uh, you get in the car you go straight to the hotel you've probably got enough time to wash eat and then you'd go to the gig You'd perform for whatever, however many long, however many hours. Finish the gig. You'd come back, um, sleep for maybe two hours or so before your flight was in the morning to get to the next city, and then you would, and, and it was just that. So you were probably living on like maybe four hours of sleep in a day, yeah. uh, if not less. And it was, but you're traveling a lot, and, and the jet lag was unreal because you'd go through like four or five time different zones. time zones. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just. So I, I, I notice how um, grueling the schedule of that can be, and that what kind of toll it can take on you, and you know it's important to stay healthy and things. Um, in terms of industry-wise, I think I learned um, it's kind of a. It, there's always a saying, even in any job, that your parents probably say to you, "It's not what you know, it's who you know," and that very much exists as well. I think um, you know that that, um, and I also learned that. You know, it, it was true what Michael said to me early on that I didn't need, I didn't need to be a musician to be a good producer. You know, um, and yeah, that's what I learned from 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 that. that when did you? When did when did? Because obviously you're still in Vegas now. I know you've been in, in America for a while. Like when did yeah. that kind of end? And why? Not so much. It's not about you know. It's about your DJ and music. But why did that end? And how did you then sort of? Um, trans over into like the back at me creating an artist creating you know what was the sort of movement between those two periods of time yeah so like i said when i when i got that job 
my initial thought was I'm going to have access to, to this guy who's an amazing producer. Yeah. Other producers loved him. You know, his stuff was great. He's had a number one, you know, this, yeah. you know, he's kind of done everything in, in that sense of like what you can achieve or what you'd want to achieve. So and he's, a, and he's I, back now for people that don't know, he's back now as a fire. Like that's, that's yes. kind of a, a yeah. new moniker and stuff. So if people are listening and they're sort of aware of Michael Woods and not sure, but he's, you know, he's, he's nailing things for defected and all kinds of stuff now as well. He's, yeah, he's a phenomenal producer. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. And, you know, like I said, he's classically trained. So he's not just a amazing producer. He's a great musician. He can pick up any instrument and play it. And, you know, he's he's a very, very – I've been very lucky to have that around me, you know, because he has a very high standard of, of production and everything else. So I have to live up to that whenever I send him something. Or um, So anyway, as I was um, doing that, I, I was still learning to produce and stuff, and I, he was teaching me certain things. And I released a few records as Alex Madden, my actual name, yeah. um, on, on Diffused. Um, but it, I, wasn't, I wasn't regular with it enough because of the touring schedule. And you know, I was looking after him, and I was looking after his socials as well. So I, I just didn't have time. It, it just, it, all of that stuff just kind of took too much attention away from what I was trying to do. So his career as Michael Woods at the end of the three years of me working with him was kind of, kind of like sort of dwindling out. It wasn't as um, epic as it was when that EDM bubble was massive in America. It yeah. was kind of towards the end of that. And he was kind of getting fed up of the, that scene as well. And he wanted to change. Um, so we just kind of parted ways then. Um, and uh, I didn't want to leave the US, uh, you know, so I needed to find another tour managing job. And I started um, doing some stuff with Gareth Emery. Uh, oh, wicked, yeah, I remember the cunts yeah, so I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. So I started doing some stuff with him and yeah, that, that was great. And uh, again, I was just, you know, kind of keeping the music stuff alive and trying to do more. And then I, and then I, I just quickly realized that I don't want to do this tour managing thing. This isn't, this isn't what I got into the industry for. Yeah. I need to fully focus on music. And at this point, I had friends back home kind of making it. Like friends of mine that I knew, like uh, OC and Verd, they were kind of doing really well. Will Clark was massive, blowing up everywhere. Yeah. I saw GW Harrison. He was doing stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all, you know, all my friends that were kind of in the same boat as me back in the UK started like blowing Kicking up. On. And I was like, well, yeah. And, I th- and, you know, doing well. And I thought, this can actually happen. This is real. This can – these are my – buddies you know i can ring this guy up and they're blowing up right now so if they can do it i can do it i just need to focus so i just readjusted my focus to me um i needed to at, at, at the time as well before back at me I, you know i kind of come up with that name because i was working in like a duo for a little bit with a friend of mine uh, from sweden um and duos are great but you always end up that someone's doing more work than the other and then it just it kind of fizzles out so yeah, the partnership wasn't great, so now I just thought, well, it's all you know, back on me for for a bit, and that was going to be that was going to be the name, back on me. But then I realised it it read bacon me, so <laughs> I <laughs> love that. So, so I didn't want to be named after pork products, so I I just I thought, what else can I find? And and back at me you know, at this time again, socials was big, so I was trying to find a handle that was, didn't exist, and back at me was the one that kind of stuck. Oh, and then that was it. Just such a yeah. And then I was, send- <laughs> <laughs> and then I was just, you know, sending stuff to um, to Michael again, and you know, asking for his feedback. And he was really good with feedback and things. And um, it got to a point where I was sending him stuff, and he he liked it, but he was just like, yeah, just kind of. Uh. And I was like, I need to start sending this to more people because 
I'm getting an opinion of one person. And if it's not yeah. his particular flavor, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's not good or bad. It just means, you know, it's not, he doesn't love it. And, and that's a great point about music in general, isn't it? Like, I mean, I, I manage some people now and uh, they send me stuff and I give them my opinions. And I, I'm always like, look, man, it's just my opinion. It doesn't mean yeah. it's right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just something that I hear or don't hear. And you can send that. And you know this from sending stuff to labels. Do you know what I mean? And getting and stuff signed. And I've been talking to people that I manage at the minute and it's like, don't overthink stuff, man. Like you can make something for a certain label or DJ and then they don't like it, but someone else likes it who you never thought would have, would have liked it. And so, yeah, you've got to get as much feedback from as many people as possible, I think, on stuff that you're making. Yeah, definitely. And and keep the, you know, keep the people, um, what you need, what, what I use, I have like a, a, a test, like a, a, a palette, right? I have Michael, who is someone that I would consider kind of like, top dog knows his production stuff so he knows that he'll he'll give me tips on what product part production part wise sounds good and i've got musical people that don't know anything about production like friends of mine that like good music um and i was and my girlfriend as well she's great for that too so i i I will send it to them and if they say yeah it's all right and i'm thinking all right okay that means the music's crap so (laughs) and 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 that's what kind of will connect with everyone do you know what i mean Uh, you know everyone that doesn't know music will connect with that bit. So, uh, so anyone that doesn't know production will connect, connect with the music. So yeah, I, I have a, you know, a few testers that I send to Chris Lake. I send him stuff sometimes he's good for feedback. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. And that's, that's really what, how I deal with things. But I remember I did, I did a track that I really liked. I thought this sounds great. And I sent it to Michael and he was like, yeah, it's good. It's just missing that certain something. It needs something or, you know, it doesn't stand out enough. But I was like, no, I don't know, man. I'm just going to send this to a few labels because I really like it. And I sent it to uh, SKT, DJ SKT. Yeah, Stashed. Had, yeah, I just sent something to Stashed. Yeah, and he, and he, uh, I've known him for years. That that radio thing that I was talking about when I was back in uh, back in when I was 13, 14 and uh, my mate was DJing at that pub, you know, SKT was around then. He was producing yeah. music at that age. You know, he was young. I remember picking up a, a garage record with SKT on it and thinking that it was just some like 20 year old bloke. And I rocked up to the club and it was just child. <laughs> it was like at the time, he like a little kid. I was like, oh my God. Uh, so I knew him, but I didn't want him to know that it was me sending him music. And that's why I put it under back at me because i didn't want yeah. it to be perceived in a certain way i thought if i send it as me he's going to look at it as me and might have a yeah perception uh, yeah a perception that's the word yeah before he listens to it so i sent it under that name and he hit me up he was like dude i love this track man what i want to sign it and then that was the first track that i released as back at me was how we do so when, was that, so when, did, when did you come up with the back at me like brand and when was that first track signed the brand the name came around in 2000 and say 17 maybe 16 it was a long time ago but the actual first track that i ever put out under that name was in two last year 2019 april last year yeah um and yeah and then um and that was it and it was at that point i realized that you know i need to start sending this music to more people if i like it and it's something i would play i need to just trust it and then you know you know send it out to and since then labels. you've released on um well you tell us what else what, what other labels i've seen and what else have you released on since then yeah uh, i'm other subjects um twisted love um uh Faris rule recordings um solotoko um yeah it's been Sunny's great label. for me yeah, yeah that that label is amazing um i really like 
releasing stuff on there because um yeah all my tracks that have been on there have done pretty well so uh yeah so that's that's the name of few um and what's the, what does the future hold obviously we're in a weird time how are you well let's touch on that first how are you finding lockdown you, has it made you more productive has it have you been feeling down have you been feeling positive does it feel like stuff's been on pause or has it given you a chance to reflect and re- replan like how has it been for you I, mean, I know it's i know in the states it's starting to ease now but how have the last sort of eight ten weeks been for you it's been all right to be honest it, there wasn't much physical change for me i don't go out that often um and when i am working i'm working from home in here in my studio and i'm just uh making music so it it, it didn't change much the only thing that's changed is that you know, my housemates are around and, you know, uh, my girlfriend's around all the time. So, you know, you get to spend more time with them and stuff that you, you wouldn't normally get to do, you get to do. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's, um, it hasn't motivated me more. I've been producing more for sure, but it hasn't motivated me more because we make, we make club music at the end of the day. And with the clubs closed, it's quite difficult to, yeah, man. Luckily, luckily, I didn't have any releases past uh, my last release. Um, uh, well, not like, at the time. I was panicking, thinking I haven't got something to come out because it's all about consistency for me. I want to be consistent and have music yeah. coming out consistently. Um, but then when this happened, I was kind of like, oh, that kind of works out a little bit in my favour in terms of releases because because um, no one's going to be going out, and I don't feel like anyone's going to be buying music at this time. So, have you had to delay anything, or did you just have a natural gap? Have you had to delay I- stuff that you'd? Had I had a natural or... gap. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a natural gap. Um, I had one release just as as the as the COVID nineteen thing happened, um, which was on Ferris wheel, but uh, it didn't seem to affect it that much. It was it, it did okay. okay. Um, but um, so yeah, now I just I I, I I I just want things to kind of get start getting back to normal because I did a stupid thing come uh, New Year's Eve. I put a thing on my Facebook saying 2020 is going to be my most successful year. And so far, 2020 has been an absolute sham. I don't know what's going on. It's the worst, craziest year I think I've ever been alive to witness. So yeah. um, I'm hoping that what's still this, comes to what's fruition. What's the scene like in Vegas, man? Like obviously not now, but like pre, pre-lockdown. pre I've seen you doing a few gigs and stuff out there. I mean, I've been to Vegas a few times. But like what's Vegas like for house music? Like what's Vegas like for... For obviously you, you touched on the pool things, what the club's like, you know, because obviously EDM's, Fergie's still out there doing the EDM thing and Calvis, but like Calvin, sorry, but what's what's the kind of, is there a cooler house scene? Is there a kind of a more accessible commercial house party, pool party scene? Like what's it like? Yeah, the scene, the scene doesn't really exist that much here. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a few bits and bobs that pop up here and there, but it's not uh you get more of that on the like the east coast you know like new york and chicago and denver and places like that you have more of a housing la the housing's kind of grown a bit there but vegas is um just due to the nature of what vegas is it will only start doing stuff here when it becomes big so when edm for example started getting massive in the u.s they yeah. bought it all the biggest acts to Vegas and then, yeah. you know, spent loads of money on it. And then that's, you know, what grew the scene here. But before that, it didn't, it didn't really exist. When I, you know, when I first started working with Michael as a tour manager, I remember we came out to the U S and I, at that point, just before I left the UK was when kind of like the more deep house and that kind of underground scene started growing again. Like Jamie Jones started getting big and MK yeah. was coming back and Lee Foss was, you know, stepping up and, um, 
you know, all these, this, this new kind of music was coming around, which I loved. I thought, I love this. It's kind of slower. It's groovier. And then when I got to America, it was, I, I'd gone back three years. I'd gone back to Swedish house math for being big and, you know, <laughs> Afrojack playing this banging music and all this stuff yeah. that I used to be into that I kind of grew out, not grew out of it. It just, I just stopped yeah, listening to it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you just, you, you know, your tastes develop and, you know, you start wanting new things, but it was still big here and it was for three years, you know, it was still huge and it still is now. You can still go places now and it's, you know, it's still prevalent. It's there. Would you see like would you see Sonny like would Sonny Federa play in Vegas like would you see like would would you would you get that kind of artist or does it just does that just not cut it in in Vegas? He's played here, so so okay. recently there's there's been a shift. There's been a bit of a shift. So so EDM has kind of died out. Vegas in and this I'm just talking about the Vegas scene. EDM kind of slowly is like kind of, it's still around, but it's kind of died out. They started going back to live acts, so they started wanting to get like more hip hop and R and B guys here. And then now there's certain places um, like Excess, for example, um, who are pushing a newer sound. And it's places like Excess that really introduce a certain sound into Las Vegas uh, to the masses. And they're the ones that are putting on these events called Art of Wild. And they're the ones that are getting Elro out here. So okay. Elro have done a few things. Fisher, he's he's doing a lot of stuff there. Uh, and I know Abode he's doing, of, haven't Abode just announced a Vegas show? Yeah, Abode, oh, oh, it that, looks oh, like... Yeah, I think next year that they're going to come out, uh, and okay. 2021 and the next year, uh, they're going to be doing. I, I don't know what, I don't know to what extent, but it looks like they're coming out, which would be amazing because I've I've never met the guys there. You know, I know uh, GW, but uh, I know George, but I don't know anyone else on that thing. So hopefully, a few people come out, I'll get to catch up with them, and um, that'd be good. But uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of it's starting to change a little bit. There's more <clears> stuff going. You know, that Dirty Bird sound is pretty big in the US anyway. Uh, yeah. So Chris Lake does a lot of stuff out here, but you know, Camel Fat have been out here. Um, you know, they have EDC and that kind of, you know, that kind of brings yeah, out people. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think Sonny Federa's played at Marquee um, here, um, but I wasn't in contact with him when that happens. Otherwise I would have gone down there, but uh, Salado played. So it's getting there. It's getting there. Okay, a few cool. places are pushing it. And what's your, yeah. what's your plans for coming out of, of lockdown? Like what are you, have you got stuff that's signed for, for scheduled for release later in this year or are you just about to send a load of stuff out have you got any did you have gigs cancelled this summer what's your sort of or you know even as you've had a chance to restock and, and take stock and have a think what are you coming out of uh, lockdown thinking about now for back at me um just i'm just carrying on to be honest it does not not much has changed for me in that sense um the lockdown has been a you know a nightmare for everyone and but you know I, I wasn't, I didn't have a tour planned. I didn't have like a ton of gigs. You know, my, my residency has uh, obviously stopped because I had a residency here in Vegas um, playing at one of the pool parties, which is seasonal. So that, you know, I think, I don't think that's going to reopen before the end of the year, to be honest. Um, so uh, for me, it's just releases. That's all I've been concentrating on. I've just been concentrating on producing and getting tracks signed. And I'm in the process right now of getting, um, like samples cleared and I'm talking to a few other labels with projects that they're kind of like, we like it, but we, you know, we want to work with you a bit more on it. So there's, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the pipeline that, you know, that's coming up and that's really all I'm focusing on. I'm just focusing on the music. Um, before I think in pre prior years before back at me, when I started doing this project, I was focusing on the wrong things. I was focusing on trying to get gigs and trying to play gigs. And I think 
that was the wrong way to try and approach it. I should have been trying to make good music and get a hit and, you know, hope that my brand and my, you know, name gets out there by that. And that's starting to happen now, which is good. Um, you know, certain DJs and certain people are starting to play my music, which blows my mind still now. And so that's the goal, really. Just just music releases and being consistent. I want to be very consistent with the releases that I have and, you know, working with certain labels that I like, like Solotoko. And, you know, I've got a few labels that are goals that I'm trying to get to, and, and, and that's what I'm focusing on, really. I think that's wicked advice, man. Like, I mean, I definitely would have been would have been guilty of the same thing like making it about the gigs do you know what i mean and yeah you know and, and again i've probably refocused that um in the last six nine months the same as you like stop focusing on trying to blag gigs <laughs> focus yeah. on trying to write good good records and try to get them you know onto decent labels and and, and build build that way and so yeah that's some wicked advice man i'm gonna like start wrapping it up one thing that i, I thought you just say do, you're gonna start wrapping <laughs> no, Jesus. I'm gonna start thing, one, so this is one thing, this is one of the two things I always do to end the podcast. And yeah. um this is just like it's in the moment now, right? So you could have given me a different answer yesterday and a different answer in an hour, but what I want you to do is curate a kind of a dream gig. Um so you have to give me a venue. It can be a real no, venue, no. like you can say you can say you can say you know, Pasha Ibiza, or you can give me a generic one like a festival or a small room. And then you I need three acts. You can play it if you want, um, but it's dead or alive, past or present. Same with the venue. It can be open, closed, past or present, made up, you know, real. Uh, and three acts. It's not so much a headline thing, so it's not like you're not building it up, one, two, three. It's just all three are kind of equal billing, if you will, in that world. But I want uh, Back at Me's perfect gig. Where is it going to take place? Where is this gig going to happen? And I'm playing at this gig, right? You can. You can choose to be on the lineup or you can choose to just go to it. You can have back-to-backs, you can have live acts, you can have whatever you want. It's supposed to be DJs, but plenty of people have put out bands on or, you know, have chosen like live dance music acts and stuff. So you can play it or you can just attend it. But I want to know where I, it's going to be. Okay, so I would probably, because I'm selfish, I'd probably play it. Uh, <laughs> and it's always, <laughs> it's always, I've always, one of my goals, and I think the pro- when it happens, I'll think to myself, okay, I'm, I'm achieving something, right? And it's a weird, it's a really weird place. It's not weird, but it's a weird place for it to be like top of my bidding. Okay. But I really want to play Mambo's Ibiza. Yeah. And I, I really, 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 really want to do a sunset set. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my goals. I think if I end up, and if, if the Mambo boys are listening, you know, hit up your boy. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a lot of Mambo boys on the podcast, actually. Shout out to Ridney. Shout out to Ryan McDermott. So I'll hook you up, mate. Yeah, Ridney, there's some, there's some... Ridney signed my very first solo track. So I'm good pals with, uh, with Ridney. I like that guy a lot. Um, and when I went out to Ibiza, I, I didn't even know he was he was resident there. So it was nice to hang out with him. But yeah, it would be there. So you're going to so play the sunset, right? Let's put someone on before you and let's put someone on after you. So who else is on this Mambo night that you are curating? Before me... Oh God, this is going to be, you've put me right on the spot here. <laughs> <clears throat> Who would I have to headline this bad boy? Oh man. This is hard. You've really, well, you've really got me. You know, no one said this was going to be easy. Bacon, ba- bacon me. Come on, let's give bacon. Let's give... <laughs> yeah, I, I, love... I hope you can, I hope you can edit this down. Jesus. Um, oh fuck. Before me. I'm going to stick a fire on there. 
a four. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. So going a fire, then back at me. And who's on after you at Mambo for your night? Uh, Mambo's, it would be fire, back at me. And then on top of that bill would be... Fucking hell. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe someone like Armour Van Houden. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say ABH. Maybe someone like Armour Van Yeah, maybe him. Yeah, do it, he, Do it. He, he for, for many reasons, I just love everything, his style. Yeah, he's a fucking cool um, motherfucker, that's why. Yeah. Either him or like MK as well. I, I, I love MK's... Vibe. Well, let's go. Like, let's, you know, let's go. MK, MK Van Elden back to back. That'll be a nice little. That'll be a cheeky fuck mambo. Me. Yeah, that's the one. That's that, what we're. That'll be a cheeky mambo. Me, and me, you, and Michael will be on the tequilas. Um, that's, right. That's t- why I invited t- Michael because he'd be on the tequilas. <laughs> uh, he'd, be, he'd be buying the bottles. That's why he's on the lineup, mate. <laughs> right. No, tell, no other reason. <laughs> link. Hit, hit me up. Or we'll hit all the people listening up with where they can find out more about back at me. Hit me with all your socials. Where can they check out your music? Where can they find you? Hit all the links, please, mate. Sure. Um, on every social platform, I'm just at back at me. So if it's SoundCloud, just forward slash back at me. If it's Twitter, at back at me. If it's Facebook, forward slash back at me. Um, and music is everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, you know, uh, just search back at me. Um, that's why I, I picked that name because it, it's available everywhere. So, yeah, just, just search back at me. You'll find plenty of stuff everywhere. Um, nice one. So the last thing is you are going to choose a track to play out to the podcast Again, it's one of those ones that's just in the moment, man. So you can use it to, to pick one of your, your unreleased things, one of your, your released things. It can be an old thing. It can just be a pop song. It can be something you heard today that made you feel happy. It can be anything. Like Use it to promo one of your tracks if you want or just a bit of music that I can stick on the end of the podcast to play it out and just something that's, that's, that's resonant with you right now, man. I have literally just maybe two days ago finished a, a track that um, uses a very well-known sample um, that I'm currently in the process of sorting. So I think I'll choose that, and it's called um, I Believe. Nice one, man. Thanks for catching up. Uh, Speak to you soon, man. Bye. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.
Just to find your way 